In December of 2004, Dr. Larry Anderson joined the SBC staff with the primary responsibility of shepherding and leading what was then known as Scottsdale Bible North Campus. For the next 15 months, Larry focused on the North Congregation. But when Dr. Darrell Delhousay resigned in 2006, the elders of Scottsdale Bible turned to Larry and asked him to assume the added role of interim senior pastor, responsible for providing leadership and direction for the entire church. Isn't it something that when, when after a quarter of a century of having a, a phenomenal teacher like Daryl, and God leads him over to, to take over the helm of the seminary, that in that interim time, when everybody thinks that, oh man, the, a church can collapse in that time, we're falling, no, no, no. God brought in stability in Larry, and, and what he did more than anything else is he brought a, a stability to our staff and to our elders. I think the special thing about Larry was that sweet stability he offered the staff during that interim time. Larry met Jenna at Saguaro High School where, in 1970, they were named homecoming king and queen. However, they didn't start dating until 1975, and one year later, they married. Today, with Jenna by his side, Larry serves as the senior pastor of North Bible Church, which became an SBC church plant in 2010. We at Scottsdale Bible have no idea what a gift we were given in Larry Anderson. He understood that, uh, that Jesus was filled with both truth and grace, and he brought grace to the table like nobody else. It's just another example, in my view, of God's sovereignty and the way that he has looked over this ministry through these 50 years. I, yeah, you can clap for that. I, I leaned over to Larry earlier and I said, I, I can clearly see how Jenna was homecoming queen. I don't get the other part, but no, I'm teasing. I want you guys to try to picture this. I want you to picture yourself being a pastor. I want to picture yourself coming from California to Scottsdale uh, to become the, uh, a pastor of a, of a you know, church campus of a large multi-site church. And then I want you to picture that after you get here, uh, you're, you're, you're battling prostate cancer, you're finishing your doctorate, you're trying to follow your three boys all the way across the country who are now grown and raised and, and off doing their own thing. And then the church that you're pastoring asks you if you would consider, in addition to all the things that are going on in your life, if you'd be the interim senior pastor during a very tumultuous time in the life of a church. And Larry Anderson said yes. And I got to tell you, there are very, very few men, and I'm not overstating this, very few men in the nation, in the world, that could have done what Larry did. When I came on the scene here, there was a lot going on at our church, a lot of issues, a lot of decisions to be made. Larry stayed on for two years in my first two years here as our executive pastor and literally mentored me, guided me, most of you didn't even know it, in how to help continue to lead this place. I would not be standing here, I believe, as your senior pastor, one for Larry Anderson. Our Ebenezer, which is a spiritual term for Emmy, that we are giving to uh, our senior pastors when they, when they come back here, uh, and it's a beautiful, beautiful Emmy, uh, says this on it. It says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith, Hebrews 13, 7. I, I can't, it, it's such a joy for me 
to be able to give this to Larry today and to welcome him to our pulpit because he is a friend, he's a mentor, he's a pastor to many of us, and, and it's an honor to have him back today. So give a great Scottsdale Bible welcome to Dr. Larry Anderson. Thank you very much. Um, thank you, Jamie. Uh, it's an honor to be here, and I, I shared with some friends that really, um, Jen and I both were very clear and understood that the Lord had led us to uh, come back to Arizona and uh, felt obvious calling. And so when a new idea came up, to step in and be the interim senior pastor, we just assume that's what a part of what the Lord brought us here for. And uh, when you know that God's called you to something, you just show up every day. And uh, that's what we did. So I'm, I'm humbled and, and honored. And, and I, I wanna say that Jamie is a dear friend. Um, it's been a wonderful pr transition and we continue to meet together, uh, continue to share life together. And uh, I hold him in high regard and feel uh, very, very strongly that he is exactly the man that God had for and has for Scottsdale Bible for this next season. And, and I think it's evident just in how the Lord's blessed um, Scottsdale Bible Church. I, I also want to thank you. I always appreciate when people applaud before I speak, <laughs> just in case, you know, uh, you know, just in case things don't go that well. But thank you. Uh, we're... Uh, in a, you're in a celebration here, and your theme, which I think is very appropriate, is remember, rejoice, and renew. And so taking these opportunities to remember God's goodness, to remember his faithfulness uh, for Scottsdale Bible, to Scottsdale Bible Church for the last 50 years, I, I think is significant to rejoice in his blessings, to rejoice in all that the Lord has done and how he has been faithful, and then to renew ourselves uh, for whatever it is that God has in the future and how he would lead and, and what he would want us to be and to do. And I do wanna uh, encourage you with this, that rarely in my life uh, do I, have I predicted exactly what the Lord's gonna do next. And, and, and so I, I wanna encourage you that you're on a spiritual journey with Jamie and with the pastors and elders and staff here uh, and we don't know what the Lord has next, but it's the Lord's journey, and, and our goal is to make sure we know who we're following, uh, that we're following Christ, and that it's his church, and that we wanna honor him and, and lift him up. So I just wanna encourage you on this journey. We're gonna be looking at the church at Philadelphia this morning. The, in, in Revelation, there are seven churches that are held up, seven churches that are talked about for, for a variety of reasons, but they're examples for us of, of what happens in the church, what God wants from his church, and, and what we know is that then in the early church, and in particularly these churches that are, are mentioned in Revelations, uh, there was false teaching that was starting to enter in. There was uh, persecution that had come. There were uh, people that were ad taking a, the gospel and, and, uh, and, and doing Jesus plus gospel. It's Jesus plus uh, you can worship these idols or it's Jesus plus you can have these rituals, Jesus plus. And they were adding things to the gospel and, and perverting the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and, and then there's another category that I like to add and, and that's just simply the category that life happens. 
and uh, we're, we're, we, you know, we're following Christ or we're seeking the Lord and then all of a sudden life shows up and life gets complicated and life gets frightening and gets really busy and we get tired and discouraged and frustrated and suddenly those truths that we understood, suddenly this whole idea of the gospel, some whole idea of completely following Christ doesn't feel so good anymore. It feels harder than it's supposed to be and we begin to wonder if it's all true and wonder if it's all right. And so we've taken this time to remember what God said. We've taken the time to rejoice in what he's done and then to renew our commitment through his word as to what the Lord wants from us. And that's what we're gonna look at this morning. We're gonna look at the church in Philadelphia. But before we do, would you please join me in prayer one more time? Heavenly Father, we thank you now for this time, this moment that we have to consider your word as part of our worship together. Lord, we have praised you, we have worshiped you with song. Uh, Lord, now we ask that you would allow us to worship you through your word, that you would be present with us, Lord, that you would use this time to be more greatly formed in us. Lord, speak to us and give us ears to hear, and we will be careful to give you the honor and the glory and the praise in Jesus' holy name, amen. Would you join me in the reading of the passage from Revelations, the third chapter, verses seven through 13. It says this, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those Uh, who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You know, the very first thing that this is built on is a statement that the, that the angel uh, records, the words of Jesus to his church, and it's a description of who Jesus is. It says this, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one shuts, who shuts and no one opens. So the very first thing that we're supposed to understand is who Jesus is, and the very first description that we're given of Jesus is that he's the Holy One. Now, to the Hebrew mind in the Old Testament, this idea of holy was often a word that was often a phrase used to to refer to God. In the New Testament, we know that the word holy is uh, hagios in the Greek, and it means to set apart, and it refers to Jesus as the one who has been set apart, that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one that God sent. God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that he set apart Jesus. He sent him so that we might have a Christ, so that... Uh, he was set apart for us, for our sake. He's the Holy One. The second word, the second phrase that's used is he's, also, he's the true one. 
And in the Old Testament, again, to the, to the Hebrew mind, this idea of true would mean genuine, that he was the real deal, he was the genuine article, that he was the Christ, he's the one that we've been waiting for, he's the Messiah, he's one that all the prophets spoke of, that now Jesus is here, he's the true one. And in the New Testament, to the Greek mind, this idea of true also meant faithful, that Jesus is not only the genuine article, but he is the one who is faithful. And he is often faithful in spite of us, that while we were lost in our sin, while we were lost in our rebellion, God sent his son, and he was faithful to the Father to the point of death, even death on the cross, and we have life because of his faithfulness. And he continues to be faithful today. And then finally, he has the key of David, the keys to the kingdom. And we're told that Jesus is the one who has the keys of the kingdom. And when we come in the name of Jesus, he opens a door to a new kingdom. He opens doors and he shuts doors. And this is particularly significant to the church in Philadelphia because they had been excommunicated by the synagogue. They were no longer allowed to worship. They were no longer allowed to attend the feast. They were no longer allowed to participate in any of those things. And so suddenly they found themselves isolated. To decide to follow Jesus was a very costly thing for believers in Philadelphia. The very traditions that they had, the way they were brought up, the way they grew up, their friends, their relatives, their neighbors, people were, they were isolated from all of those people because they chose to follow Jesus. And so they understood that when, when Jesus said that I will open a door, that a door has been closed to you, the door of the synagogue has been closed to you, but I am opening a new door. And you're a citizen of my kingdom and you belong to my kingdom, you belong to me. And so what we learn about Jesus is that he is the Holy One. He is the one who has been set apart. He's the Messiah, the one that we've been waiting for. He is the true one. He is the genuine one and the faithful one. And then he has the keys to the kingdom. And he opens the doors of the kingdom to us. And everything else that's written to the church in Philadelphia is going to be based on this. And I would offer you that everything in life is based on this truth. And it's the truth of who Jesus is. You see, it's easy for us to just acknowledge the truth of who Jesus is. It's easy for us to read this and go, yeah, I get it. You know, he's the holy one, the true one, the keys to the kingdom. I, I get all of that. But it's a whole different story when life happens, isn't it? It's a whole different story when suddenly we find ourselves like the church in, in Philadelphia that we're isolated and we're under persecution and, and, and we've been excommunicated by our own family, our own friends, our own church, the synagogue. It's a whole different thing. And now what are you going to do when persecution comes, when trials come? What do you stand on? Where do you go? They went to the truth of who Jesus is. That he is the holy one, the true one. And he alone, as he said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He holds the keys to the kingdom. That's who Jesus is. And everything else is based on that truth. One of my sons gave me a great phrase to, to remember that, and he simply said this, that we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. And the truth of it is, is that Jesus is real. And the truth is that God loved us so much that while we were yet sinners, he sent Christ. And Christ came to this earth, and he lived on this earth, and he showed us how to live, and then he died on a cross, 
for our sins. He was raised again. He appeared to people for another 40 days. And then when he ascended, he said, I am not going to be present with you any longer, but I am sending my Holy Spirit so that I can be present in you now. And if we know Christ, we have the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, the resurrection spirit of Jesus Christ living in us. And that's the truth. And when we find ourselves and life is coming apart and we find ourselves frightened, we find ourselves isolated, maybe we find ourselves persecuted. We stand on the truth of who Jesus is. That's what we have. And that's what the church in Philadelphia had and that is what they're being encouraged with. Let's look at a couple of other verses here. Very first thing that he says to him, that Jesus says to the church. I know your works. I love that. I've been watching you. I know what you're doing. I know that you've been faithful. I know that you keep showing up. I know what you do in my, for my name's sake. And it's a very sort of tender little sentence here. But I know your works. And he said, behold, I set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. He makes a promise to them because they have been faithful. Because they've been faithful to do the work of the Lord in spite of the isolation, in spite of the persecution, in spite of all that's going on. He's been watching. And then, and then he says this, and I know that you have but little power. Oh, thank you. Is that a compliment, Lord? Because it didn't, didn't quite seem like a compliment. But here's the truth, is that the church in Philadelphia was a little church. It was not a big church. It, it wasn't, you know, a Scottsdale Bible. It wasn't a mega church, it was a mini church. And it, so it wasn't very prominent. Daryl last weekend talked about the church in Sardis. The church in Sardis was the big church. The church in Sardis was the church that would have the conventions on church growth, that would have the conferences on how to do children's ministry and, and uh, how to do tech and all of those other things you know, that you can do. And, and Sardis was the one that had all of that, but Philadelphia was just this little church and it had no prominence, no prestige in the community and no one was inviting them to go to conferences. Nobody was asking them to write books. They were just being faithful to the Lord and the Lord looked at them and said, I know your works. I know who you are. And 2,000 years later, we're reading about the church in Philadelphia. And 2,000 years later, we're still experiencing the influence of people who are faithful to Jesus Christ, who stood on the truth of who Jesus is. And he says, I know you have little power, and yet you have kept my word, and you have not denied my name. You've kept my word, that you have been faithful to me in spite of the persecution, in spite of the trials, in spite of all those things. You have been faithful to what I gave you to do. You have been faithful to my word. You have kept my promises. You have paid attention. You have walked with me. You have trusted the truth of who I am. And you have not denied my name. You see, the easiest way to get back into the synagogue would have been to deny who Jesus was. It would have been to turn your back on all of that and to reaffirm your traditions and you could have gotten back in, but they would not deny his name, but they stood for Jesus because Jesus was the truth. Jesus is the truth. And they refused anything else. 
Look at what Jesus says. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews but are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet. And they will learn this. They will learn that I loved you. That is so powerful. It's not about how big you are. It's not about how prominent you are. But here's what makes you special. Here's what really matters today is that you are loved by Christ. Because I loved you and I want them to know that they're going to see that in their arrogance and their pride and in their all of that they did, someday they're gonna look and they're gonna bow down and they're gonna know that I loved you. One of my favorite passages in Philippians, second chapter, it's kind of one of those life passages for me, but the last part of it says, uh, therefore, uh, it's, therefore is always a big word in the scripture because it says pay attention to what's just happened and therefore uh, God bestowed on the name of Jesus a name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And I love that because the therefore is in that because Jesus who was in the very form of God, did not consider uh, equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself and became nothing, and he became nothing uh, in becoming the form of a servant. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death and even death on the cross. So we look at this, we, we look at this resume. What, what is Jesus known for? He came, he emptied himself, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he humbled himself and became a servant. He became a servant and was obedient all the, to the point of death and even death on the cross and because of what Jesus did, because he emptied himself, because he humbled himself, because he was obedient to the Father to the very end, because he stood on the truth, what did God do? God exalted his name above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow on heaven and earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's who Jesus is. And it doesn't list it because of any great accomplishments because it lists because he emptied himself and because he was obedient, that he was faithful to the end, that even to death, even death on the cross, and so God exalted him. Now I would give you a, a, a thought that the scripture tells us that, that we're in Christ. If anyone is Christ, the person's a new creation, the old's passed away and the new has come, and so this morning if Christ lives in us, we are in Christ, and if Christ has been exalted to the highest place, where are we? It's not a trick question. We're in Christ. And if you're in Christ this morning and Christ has been exalted to the highest place, what do you have to prove? Is it really about who has the most stuff? Is it really about who's the most impressive? The fact is, it's about who Jesus is in our lives. And it's about the truth that he loves us. I love my job because um, I just get these great blessings and gifts sometimes and had this um, young couple started coming to the church and the, the mom um, came to me and she wanted her daughter baptized and she and her sister had started coming. She had these two little girls. And uh, the boyfriend, who I found out later was actually living there, um, came to me on the dedication Sunday and said, I wanna stand up there with, with them because I'm really committed to the girls. And I said, man, you know, I'm gonna look at you in the eye and I'm gonna ask you, are you uh, prepared to raise these girls in the way of the Lord, to know the Lord. And if you can't say yes, it's gonna be an awkward moment up there. 
So he said, well, what do I do? And I said, well, why don't you sit on the front row and take pictures and let's, you and I have coffee next week. Let's get together. So we started this friendship, which uh, eventually led to him coming to Christ and, and I baptized him and then I did their wedding. And uh, <laughs> the week of his wedding, he called me and these kids had nothing, man. I mean, when I was listening, we were talking about the wedding, I stopped and said, you know what? The church is gonna pay for the flowers and the florist and because this got, we're gonna do this right. This is, this is a family celebration here, so we took care of that. And, and, uh, but he calls me, and he's in his car, and he's crying. And, and this was a kid that, you know, he you know, fought his way through three high schools, you know, and growing up, and, and uh, he's a tough kid, and he's crying on the phone, and he says to me, I, I need some help. I wanna, I wanna do vows to the little girls, as well as to my wife. And I said, all right, I, we can do that. And he said, well, I went to J.C. Penney's today and I bought two necklaces. And I said, all right. Uh, so he came in and he'd already written most of the vows, but he wrote vows to these two little girls. And he said, now I'm not sure if I'm gonna be able to do this, so you might have to read it for me. So I had my own copy of these vows and sure enough, he's just bawling in the ceremony. And so I read the vows for him and then he gets on a knee and puts this necklace over each of these little girls. And this, just this little necklace from J.C. Penney's, but it had a flower on one side, and on the other side it said, if you were a flower, I'd pick you. And he told these little girls, he chose them, he picked them, and the world will know that he loves them. And as I think about what Jesus has done for us, I just picture Jesus getting on a knee and putting a necklace over our heads and saying, I pick you, and the world will know that I love you. And we are loved by Christ with a love that we've never experienced, we could never know outside of Jesus. And it's true, and he's true. And he wanted them to know that the world would know that he's loved them. And he says, because you've kept my word with patient endurance, I just love, Patient endurance, it feels like an oxymoron. Patience, you know, is patience. The hard thing about it is it takes so long to get it. <laughs> They're a little quicker than the eight o'clock, yeah. <laughs> Patient endurance, and then we endure. Uh, then we stand firm, and the only way that we can do that the only way we can do that is to preach the gospel to ourselves every day, to be reminded every day of how much we're loved, that Christ chose us, that he picked us, that we belong to him. And we endure because we're standing on the truth. We don't endure because we're special. We don't endure because we're particularly strong or particularly smart, but we endure because of who Jesus is. And then he says, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth and I'm coming soon. He says, hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. And I love the little phrase, hold fast. It's like super glue. He says, when you get your hands around the truth, when you, you get your arms around the truth, hold on like super glue. Don't let anything break it. Don't let anything change it. Don't let anything make you let go. Don't let anything tempt you to let go. 
but hold on to it for all you have because it's the truth of who Jesus is. It's the truth of the gospel and everything, everything is built around who Jesus is. Everything's built around the fact that the gospel is true and we belong to him and we hold that with patient endurance. We hold that to the end and we receive our reward from Christ, the one who conquers. I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God and never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. So the result of all of this, and again, the result of this little church who from a worldly perspective didn't look like much, didn't look very impressive, but from a spiritual perspective, and from God's point of view was a powerful example of what the church should look like. That they stood on the truth of who Jesus is and they stood there with patient endurance, enduring isolation, enduring persecution, enduring trials, enduring all of those for the sake of Jesus Christ and for the sake of the truth of who Christ is. And you can't walk out of this place this morning without thinking a little bit about how you're standing and what's going on in your life, and what do you stand on when you feel like life is crumbling all around you? That what we have to stand on is the truth of who Jesus is, the fact that he is real, the fact that he has chosen us, the fact that he loves us, and our life is built around that, and this church is built around that, the truth of Jesus Christ. And so he makes a promise at the end, he says, you're gonna be like a pillar in my temple. And I'm gonna inscribe three things on that pillar. It's, it's, it's interesting when we think about the city of Philadelphia because the city of Philadelphia was a, a center of commerce and it was the gateway to the east uh, from Rome east uh, into the rest of the world. And so you pass through, it was a really impressive city it was also a city that was called uh, Little Athens because of all of the idols and shrines and temples that they had uh, in Philadelphia. So it was prominent for a couple of reasons. It was also well known because near Philadelphia there was a volcano. Uh, and you know, when it comes to volcanoes, there's good news and bad news. The, the good news is that it was the, the land because the volcano was really fertile and so they became famous for their vineyards and they were very prosperous. The city was prosperous. But, but the city was also far away from Christ. And in the middle of this city, there's this little light that shines. And at one point in the history of Philadelphia, um, because of the volcano, they were on a fault line and there was a horrific earthquake. It was susceptible to earthquakes. And in and, uh, 17 AD, there was this terrible earthquake that uh, rocked Philadelphia and many people had to flee the city and often, and, and many people didn't come back. They lived on the outskirts of, uh, of Philadelphia and uh, at that time uh, the emperor Tiberius came and he spent a lot of money to help rebuild the city of Philadelphia and so for a season they changed the name of Philadelphia to Neo Caesarea, the new city of Caesar in honor of him and that was sort of the popular name for about 25 years and then another emperor came in, another ruler came in and he changed the name again to Flavia and so for a season the name was Flavia so you kind of go through the history of Philadelphia, you can sort of read it by the different names that, that it had. 
And now Jesus is saying something, I'm gonna make you a pillar in my temple and I have three names. I have three things that I'm gonna inscribe on you, three things that are gonna identify you, three things that are gonna tell people and tell you who you are. And here's the first one. He said, I'm gonna write on him the name of my God. I'm gonna write on him the name of my God that you belong to the Father, that you belong to God, that you're his. No longer belong to yourself, no longer about you, but you belong to him. You know, it's really significant because Paul tells us in Galatians 2.20, he says, I've been crucified with Christ. You know, when we understand that Christ is the truth and our, our life is built on that, then we have to take the next part of it. It says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith through Christ who loved me and gave himself for me. And the truth is that when we're a follower of Jesus, we're all in and we belong to him. We don't belong to ourselves anymore that the name of our father has been inscribed in our hearts, inscribed in our soul, and we belong to him and we carry his name and we carry his name wherever we go in this world. We belong to him. And so he said, I'm going to inscribe the name of my father. The second thing he says is in the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven. And then he says this, not only do you belong to the father, not only do you belong to my God, but you are a citizen of a new kingdom. You're a citizen of a new nation, the new Jerusalem, the air you breathe, the places that you walk, uh, what you see, you belong. You're a citizen of the kingdom of God. What you belong to is this new kingdom that I am establishing, that Jesus has the keys to, that he opens and closes the door And he said, you belong to that new kingdom. You're a citizen of that kingdom. If you've ever wondered where you belong, if you've ever felt like you were out of, uh, you you were outside of everything looking in, I want you to understand this morning that you belong to Jesus and you're a citizen of his kingdom. You belong in his home. You live in his house and his name is written in your heart. And here's the last thing that Jesus says. Not only do we belong to the Father and his name written in us, not only are we citizens of a new kingdom, But he says, and I will inscribe on you my own new name, the name of Jesus, that we belong to him, that we're his, that it's still about Jesus, isn't it? It's still about Christ and us, our hope for glory. It's about Jesus. Here's the last thing about the the letter to Philadelphia. The the letter to Philadelphia was written to the church in Philadelphia. It wasn't written to an individual. And we don't do life as followers of Jesus by ourselves. We do it in community. We do it as a church. Nobody was made to do this. This letter wasn't written to a bunch of individuals. This letter was written to a church, to a community that followed Christ. And we're called to be that community. We're called to be that church. And you're that church. And we're that church at North Bible. And we're all part of the family of God. We're all citizens of his kingdom. We belong in this thing together. And so if you're here this morning and you're not connected to other believers, you can't do this by yourself. And I would challenge you with this, that if you, can, if you can skip church for two weeks in a row and nobody misses you and nobody calls you, shame on you, fix that. Amen. Do something about that. Because we can't live this life on our own. We're not a created, we're not intended to do this on our own. That we're part of a family. 
And it's important to be part of this family. At our church, we've been going through some significant challenges with some illnesses from some of the folks in the church. And one of my dear friends happens to be an elder, has um, stage four cancer. And, and it's pretty rough cancer in the momentum of his stomach and the lining of his stomach, and they've never found the source. And so when they um, diagnosed it finally, uh, they gave him six to nine months. And so we have been praying for healing and praying that the Lord will intercede in his life. But uh, we had a service at our church to um, pray for some folks that were sick, and we just took the whole service and had a prayer service and had him come up with his wife and asked him to share. And basically what he did is he invited everybody in our church into his journey. And it was a powerful thing because you don't walk these things by yourself. We have a saying at the church, you know, don't hide from your family when you're hurting. There's something about it when we're feeling really good and life is great, we'll show up to anything. But when life's not so good and we're hurting, we start to isolate ourselves, we start to pull back, we start to hide a little bit, and we should never hide from our family when we're hurting. And so he's invited our whole church into this journey with him. And his caring bridge uh, has become sort of epistles that people read to be encouraged. And um, I asked him if I could read you the, some excerpts from his last caring bridge. It says this, we recently enjoyed three birthdays uh, three grandchildren, one turned three in August and uh, two turned two in September. A three-year-old and two two-year-olds. He said, I cannot help but think that I may not be alive for another set of their birthdays. At this time, the way I feel physically, the diagnosis of cancer tends to be surreal. Yet through this time, God has revealed truths to me that I do not think I would have seen without just such a crisis. This has caused me to look at life and death indifferently, much like having heightened senses, since I have the peace of security in my relationship with God who do not have fear of death, so I'm not frantic or feeling panic. Those of you who know this peace can understand it's not resolve, and yet it includes resolve. Resolve, not in just a mental assent of the fact or accepting them as inevitable, I know that kind of result, uh, resolve. I experience it regularly and ultimately it leaves me empty. It's not just hope that it's based on wishful desire for good. It's not just an educated understanding that, but it's built on a relationship, a relationship with the one who created the universe and who is outside our finite existence. The one who desires enough to be involved in my existence that he steps into that existence to offer peace that goes beyond my ability that peace comes after and beyond my resolve, my worldly hope and worldly education. It's then that I realize that my relationship with him is greater than all. And then this is how he finishes. Thanks again for all of your words of encouragement. And I also appreciate your willingness to let me share my inward yearnings. It does help me when I solidify them, when I put them into words on paper. We'll see what God does in and through this season in my life, but we don't walk it alone. We are invited to walk it together. And when we walk through those seasons of life, we go in the name of Jesus, and we go in the truth of who Jesus is, 
And there's nothing else in this world that can sustain us. There's nothing else in this world that's worth giving our lives for. There's nothing else in this world that really makes sense when we're living life like this, except for Jesus Christ. And we're all on this journey together. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is true. Lord, uh, as we've looked at your word this morning, if we've just simply acknowledged who you are, but we haven't built our life around the truth of who you are, I pray that you would pierce our hearts this morning. I pray that you would change us. Uh, I pray, Lord, that you would give us a rock-solid commitment and belief to the truth of who you are. And Lord, I pray this morning that Scottsdale Bible Church would be known as a fellowship of people who walk together, who care for each other, who hold each other up, who love one another as you've loved us. And so I pray a blessing on them today. And I pray that in the precious and the holy name of Jesus. Amen.